You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And as you may know, Stephanie and I recently attended Dragon Con 2014, and we went to a cool panel called Everything Stem Cells, presented by Michael Gilkey. And Stephanie got audio of it. While what he discusses is not directly related to Orphan Black, he does not talk about cloning human beings. But the science that he is talking about is very much the science behind the science fiction of Orphan Black. And you will hear that he talks about some of the same concepts that our guest Sally mentioned in the episode we did about clone science, which was episode 17. You can go check that out if you haven't listened to it already at TatianaIsEveryone.com slash 17. And I should say, I did miss the very beginning of when Michael Gilkey began speaking. He did some Q&A before the actual panel began, began because the room was already pretty much full about 10 minutes beforehand. So what what you don't hear is he, at the beginning of this clip, he is responding to somebody asking about cloning organs. And then he does some Q&A from the audience, and the audio isn't great here because he wasn't using a microphone yet. But when he starts his formal actual panel. He does use a microphone and the sound quality is a little easier to hear. So we hope you enjoy it. So this year you're talking about the heart. So you have cardiomyocytes. Uh, Those are uh, cells in the heart that cause bleeding. There's muscle, there's blood vessels to them, there's nerves that innervate. So the biggest thing is organizing all of that and then reconnecting it to your native system. So we've already cloned an organ. So Tony Atala in 2006 cloned the first organ uh, it was a bladder. Yeah, so a long time ago. So the good thing about a bladder is it's bad. It's pretty simple. All right? So, but it's not quite that simple. So you had to take uh, three different layers and actually fuse them together to get a bladder. So you have an outer shell, you had a, a smooth muscle, and then you had an inner shell. And what they did was there was a patient that had spinal bifida. Uh, it's a problem. Um, I have a friend who has it. Okay. Yeah, they're missing partners. Exactly, and it causes other deformities. So one of them was a malfunction bladder. So they literally, they just couldn't uh, hold their pee, basically. So you need to be able to put a new bag in there um, and then uh, fuse it with their original bladder, and they got uh, recovery of full function of bladder control. All right, and so it's the first cloned organ. Now, Tony Tal has since gone another step forward with that, and he's actually done 3D printing of a kidney. All right, so uh, it's another advanced organ, um, and what's neat is he can take a imaging device, an MRI, CT, and that does sections, and then he'll take a printer, like literally it's almost an inkjet printer, and they print on top of each other. And because they're taking... Cells into the matrix? Yes. So you'll have an extracellular matrix plus cells, and then they're, um, they're trying to fuse that into a functioning organ. So it's not ready for prime time yet, but the architecture is there. And now the hardest part next is even a you know a kidney has a lot of different functioning cells within it. Yeah. So now it's a matter of getting them in the right spot and then basically cooking them up to have a functioning organ. And how do you cook them up? Where do you cook them up? Uh, has anybody seen the pictures of uh, the guy with the ear on his, his arm? Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's real. All right. It's actually it's very real. Now, the, the nice thing about doing an ear is there's no function. It's just pretty. All right. But you can take a cartilage scaffold and basically take a mirror image of their other ear, make a model of it, and implant it underneath the skin. And your body, there's no stem cells involved at all. It's just a scaffold. And it'll go in and fuse. 
fuse into that. They have to put it on the skin that has a lot of vasculature. All right, otherwise the tissue will just die. All right, so you need blood. And then in about four weeks, four to six weeks, depending on uh, the person's age and such, they have an ear that they can then excise and attach. All right, that's already been done. All right. All right. Uh, I'll give you that. Um, one of the things, of course, that would be of concern is if you're making your adult uh, recreating those induced pluripotent stem cells, is that you want to use uh, presumably uh, tissue that hasn't like taken up a lot of like uh, damage. Now, I've heard that a lot of people like to use skin pyroblasts. I would figure, like, your skin is getting hit by ultraviolet, you know, your DNA is taking a lot of mix and damage. Uh, would it make more sense to take, you know, <clears throat> tissue from something that's maybe invisible and growing relatively slowly so it hasn't accumulated, you know, every time cells replicate, you pick up mutations, uh, somatic cells? So, really, it's, it's really for the patient. So, the question was... Uh, there's a new technology, and I'll get into it in a, in a couple of slides, which calls it induced pluripotent stem cells. And basically what we can do is we can take a skin biopsy, not a stem cell at all, give it some genetic manipulation, and then it actually acts and functions like an embryonic stem cell. And so the beauty of this technology is now we can have a custom embryonic line, a pluripotent stem cell line, that's actually matched to you, um, and then we don't have to go through and destroy an embryo. All right, so... These cells are very powerful. And so the question is, you know, if you take a skin biopsy, it's, it's a lot of damage. You know, is that the best spot? And really, it doesn't matter. So what's interesting is it's also care for the patient. We don't really want to stick another hole in there. We're treating some sort of disease. And going inside and getting something else wouldn't give you anything different or anything special. And so really, we just go to the, uh, the skin, and we actually get a lot of different cells. The efficiency is only... Uh, at the top best I've ever seen, 10%. And it's more like 0.01 to 1% is the average. So the efficiency of converting a tissue fibroblast, plain old skin, to you know a pluripotent stem cell is very low. But we can, you know, we're, we're doing a skin biopsy, we're doing hundreds of thousands of cells. And we don't really care about the low efficiency. I was just going to go and say, like, something like adipose tissue, you know. Oh, you can get free liposuction. We're going to go and suck out like a half of the fat. They don't have that many mutations. Uh, I'm just concerned because you go in here, like where they've done cloning. The animals, yes, they've actually been able to clone like full mammals, like sheep and bulls. But you know, there's over twenty thousand functioning genes in like mammal and even us. And you know, presumably, you don't want mutations in any of the parts that go for protein. You don't want any mutations in the parts. That are controlling the regulatory portions of the genome. Yeah, um, we do some screening. Of, we do the screening before, whenever we're actually evaluating the cells. There is a screening process. So you're looking to see, like, if they start piling up on each other, they're behaving transformed or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. So last one, and then I'm going to start actually doing my talk. Has your company looked at uh, getting the exosomes from your stem cells for different purposes? Yeah, so that's a new technology, and what's neat about, say, mesenchymal stem cells, it's a bone marrow-derived stem cell, um, and what we're finding is, is they're more of a medicinal signaling cell. So Arnold Kaplan, who's the one who actually discovered and characterized um, mesenchymal stem cells, he's with our uh, institution, and they, uh, they release uh, drugs, all right? So you can think of stem cells as basically a, a pharmacy, and they go to the location, they hone in the damage, 
and they actually release stuff depending on what the environment looks like. And one of the vehicles that they release stuff in is called an exosome. And basically, you think of it sort of like, um, think of it as like a pill. So it would dissolve and then would release a payload. And so they're actually looking at what exosomes are produced and then figure out how to just replace the stem cell with an exosome um, drug. I don't want to just be talking at you, all right? To me, that's not fun. Um, I do a lot of outreach. I do a lot of education. Uh, my favorite one that I've done so far, I've done three to six-year-olds and talked to them about stem cells. It's crazy, all right? But it's totally fun. Right? Um, but I do a lot of high school outreach. Um, if anybody has questions or wants to get a hold of me later, at the end, I have contact information. Um, I have a wonderful educational website. Um, it's off of edheads.org, so like education and heads. And there's three activities that you can go to and about stem cells. Uh, it's written for uh, high school students. They actually have high school curriculum so that teachers can integrate it directly into their programs. Uh, over 8 million people have used it. It's totally free. And uh, I wanted to put out information that's relevant and factual. So one of the things I fight a lot is trying to get true information out. So one of the things I get um, you know, from politics, I get stuff from religion, I get stuff from a little bit of everywhere. And the news, they screwed up a lot, too. Right? And they make me crazy, because they, they take stuff out of context. What else is there? Yeah. You know, it's boring, otherwise. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I'm here to basically tell you the truth. And I will tell you the bad stuff. I'll tell you the good stuff. You know, if there's, you know, questions and I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. Uh, and I'll give you my best guess. But I don't know everything, but I do uh, know a lot of different stuff. So. We're going to do a little bit of, uh, I'm going to tell you about my center, tell you about you know, stem cells, sort of a 101, and then talk to, if we get to it, product development. But if you guys have like a burning question along the way, you know, let me get a little bit into the stem cells 101 because it might answer some of your questions. Uh, but then whenever you're ready, if you stand up or be in the middle or raise a hand, then I'll stop and I have to, uh, I'll probably just repeat your question. All right? So. Um, I'm part of the National Center for General Medicine. We were started in 2003. We've raised about 40 million, actually $47 million in state funding, and that's specifically to commercialize new stem cell technologies. So has everybody heard of uh, Prop 71 out of California, $3 billion for stem cells? Yeah. All right. A lot of money. I wish I had it. All right. They didn't share. They suck. All right. But here's what I can tell you. So they had $3 billion. Um, and then last year, they ran uh, their first clinical trial. And it was with Geron, with embryonic stem cells. They treated five patients. All right, anybody want to guess how much money they spent up to that point to be able to treat five patients? $2.4 billion. All right. I've spent $47 million, you know, a few orders of magnitude less, and I've treated over 643. So, um, where would you rather put your money? All right. So that's, that's what we do. That's specifically what we're looking at. We want to get stuff into patients. You know, we don't care about these new fancy buildings. we we got to build it. We, what we need is money to do development. We need money to be able to run new clinical trials, advance the science, and get it into your guys' hands. I and mean, that's the point, all right? So we have 125 principal investigators, 12 different institutions. So this is a, a very large group. And so, you know, I get to represent groups like Case Western Reserve University, Cleveland Clinic, Ohio State University, Athersis, you know, a lot of big groups. 
And so it's nice. So I get to actually plug into these different groups and develop synergies. All right, so here's where we started, and then here's all of our startup companies. All right, so one of the important parts is if you're not commercializing, you're not putting into a company, it's really hard for an academic institution to do anything. You can run academically uh, clinical trials through hospitals, but what you really want is a company doing it. All right, so there has to be a reason. There has to be a money flow. All right, and by spinning out companies, you get it out to you much quicker. All right, so this is the different areas we do. This is a very distinguishing factor amongst stem cell centers. Most of them do one area really good. All right, we do a lot of areas. It's very unusual. So we're into you know diabetes and cardiovascular disease, and skin and brain and cancer and all kinds of stuff. All right, so it's it's nice because what I can do is then take different people from different groups and say, have you tried this? So this actually turned into a clinical trial where people on the same campus knew about each other and then didn't work together. And you're like, uh, guys, you, you have a great stem cell that actually affects the immune system. You have a model for multiple sclerosis that has a very strong immune component. Have you tried putting your cells in his animal model? And they're like, no. Maybe <laughs> 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 shit. And they're like, okay. And they did it, and literally the animals, they were curing the animals. All right, it was the first time they'd ever seen. So he said, um, we need to do some more research. We're going to collaborate. Let's write a grant. Right? And then in four years, we actually took something from just a basic idea to a phase one clinical trial. So that, that speed is amazing. Most stuff, you're looking at you know, six to ten years easy just to get something from the basic science into a clinical trial. So we got money from the Department of Defense. Interesting. I was like, all right, we'll take it. Uh, to fund a phase one clinical trial. And it was the uh, largest one in the world ever done. So that's why we're cool. Uh, different stem cell types. So we do a lot of different types. This is another distinguishing factor. So uh, most centers, they do one cell really good. They do an embryonic, or they do a skeletal myoblast, or they do adipose really good. We're all over the place. Why? Because we sort of like to, right? And we want to see synergies. And we do see different characteristics in stem cells depending on where you get them um, and then how they're used. And then you can actually do sort of head-to-head -head comparisons as to which one worked better for this particular application. And that's what we're going to see in science, that one cell type isn't going to fix all of it. It's not like, you know, the one ring, right? It's just not going to work that way. All right, so here's all our clinical programs. So this is literally clinical trials that are either running right now or about to run. So a lot of different diseases. This is, again, another huge differentiator between us and many other centers. You know, so we're into craniofacial, degenerative discs, multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel, stroke, spinal cord. I mean, so it's, we're all over the place. And it's, it's very neat to be able to do this because we get to have a lot of people to outreach to. Yeah? I have a disease called cystic fibrosis, which normally destroys people's lungs very early on in life. I'm wondering if you've ever thought about or I mean, what's the feasibility of actually going with a lung for, for transplant? All right. Um, I was going to go two ways with it. So um, next year we're going to have a phase one clinical trial for cystic fibrosis using mesenchymal stem cells. Uh, we actually have money from the cystic, cystic fibrosis foundation to run it, and uh, you're going to be seeing that next year. Uh, it'll be the first ever. And that's just organ replacement? This is specifically to attack the bacterial colonies, but then will kill them and then allow you to uh, regenerate your own tissue. So depending on how much fibrous tissue is in there, uh, we might have to take a few different steps, but the cells that we're putting in actually can break down scar tissue. All right. Now, the second part is there's a, a lady. Uh, she used to be a guy, and now she's a girl. Um, yeah, um, but she's incredibly rich. She has a pharmaceutical company. Uh, 
her name just fluttered past my head. All right, I'll think of it. But literally, it's uh, she's has a son with a degenerative lung disease, and the goal of the company is to grow a new lung, whole new lung for transplant. And um, she might be able to do it with the money that she has. Um, they're looking at decellularized organs, also getting organs from pigs that have uh, actually been changed to where they don't present. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a better than antigen, but yeah. So. Uh, Basically, stuff that your body would attack. Exactly. So you avoid rejection from a pig, which is interesting. So you can actually genetically engineer it to fly underneath the radar. And so they're actually looking at it for uh, heart as well. But uh, pig lung is actually decently sized for a human. And so that will be something that you see probably in five years. This is what they're targeting to try to get the plant. All right. Pink. All right, degenerative joint, joint diseases. All right, um, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. I have degenerative joint diseases. Okay. And it's not quite an arthritis, but basically I'm losing the brake pads in my knees. Oh, you, okay, so you're losing the cartilage and you're getting bone on bone. Yeah. All right, so this is uh, all, all the older people in the crowds that have knee issues. <laughs> you guys listen up. Yeah. Right. So... Um, there's a lot of different technologies that we're developing. I can literally, in the lab, we can grow sheets of cartilage, all right? So it's possible, all right? Now, is the cartilage functional? Yeah, actually. We're getting thicknesses that aren't there yet, all right? But we're starting to get, you know, more thick cartilage, and we're able to do uh, 3D models. So what we can do is we can look at your knee, um, do an MRI, um, basically see where the lesion, the hole is, you know, if there's is actually like an impact damage, and then do a 3D print and basically create a scaffold to grow cartilage onto and basically grow that plug, all right? And then we could take the plug and put it into your knee, all right? Here's the problem. Uh, it doesn't stay. So because of the, the ring of the cartilage in there, whenever you plug it in, it actually doesn't fuse along that perimeter. And then when you get a shear, it pulls the plug out. So... It's it's getting there, but that's the big hurdle that we're trying to get over. Now, I I want to be fair, so I'm going to let you do a few questions, but well, I might no, I cut you off. I was just going to go and comment on that. They had a beautiful article in uh, Science Review about six months ago <laughs> where they were talking exactly about that, that while they can regenerate cartilage, they've gone through like several things. I actually remembered somebody in the early 90s went to Sweden and he had like cartilage growing because his knee had gotten messed up. Uh, and then they had things where they were drilling holes into the bones of like athletes to pull up bone marrow and then yeah, it's called a microfracture. To go and yeah, get cartilage. The problem was the adherence. It's the trick of those transitions. It's like if you pop a tendon out from the bone, while you can get fibroblast cells easy, bone cells easy, getting that transition Positional tissue is the trick, and it's yep, definitely mechanical stresses and a whole bunch of other things. They're working on it, but we don't know. Yep, that's true. All right. Um, oh, got another question. Back. Um, just a quick question. Do you huh? have trouble getting volunteers to research? So, do we have trouble uh, recruiting uh, clinical trial patients? Um, yes and no. Um, I'd say that the, the actual problem is getting money to run the clinical trials. So any any patient that's interested in being in a clinical trial, you should not pay for it. All right? So we have a huge problem. It's called stem cell tourism. And uh, you have companies that are in Mexico, Costa Rica, China, Germany, 
all over, all right? And they're promising to cure anything with stem cells. They're charlatans, all right, guys? you got to be really, really careful. You can go to these places, and they've killed people. I've, I, you know, I've warned people against it. Uh, but some people, they just need something. They need some sort of hope. But uh, they're paying $25,000, $50,000 to get stem cells. You shouldn't pay for it because it's experimental. So there's a great website. It's called clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, it's run by the National Institutes of Health. Anybody who wants to publish on a clinical trial has to register with that, that agency. And it's great. It's free. Uh, you can look up and uh, do an advanced search, say, here's my disease. I want stem cells for the intervention. And you can see tons of stuff. There's 2,700 stem cell clinical trials I'm going right now. Oh, cool. <laughs> Keep an eye on me. That's good. All right. So here's why stem cells are important. All right, you can do a lot of different things with them. You know, there's there's a lot of need for stroke, for Parkinson's. Uh, there's, in, you know, bone. We actually had a patient that came in. She uh, was in a motorcycle accident, and her femur was broken so bad, they called it a non-union fracture, and the space was over an inch of bone that she was missing. All right, and she'd be permanently deformed, and she was 21 years old. All right, so she survives this motorcycle accident, and then you're like, oh, guess what, guys? You're going to be deformed. All right, not cool. So they went, you know, they tried, you know, the plates, they tried the screws, and they just couldn't grow. Your body actually has a set point where it just won't grow across that gap. So what they did was is they took a scaffold that mimics bone, and then they did a, a, a biopsy from her bone marrow, and they got a cell out called a connective tissue progenitor cell. And basically it's, it's a bone-forming cell. Uh, they took it out uh, in the OR, placed it into the scaffold. Six weeks later they did the x-ray, and they're like, it was a break. Seriously, it's amazing. So we can do this stuff, and it's it's routine. All right. So you know, if anybody tells you that stem cells aren't doing anything, they're lying. All right. You know, maybe not all stem cells that we've ever discovered haven't been used in the clinic, but embryonic stem cells they have. All right. Induced pluripotent stem cells are the new guys on the block. Um, there is eight clinical trials with them starting now. Uh, Japan is a huge uh, proponent of it. They actually are writing laws right now to get uh, this stem cell type into the clinic faster. And that's because of Dr. Yamanaka, who is the most recent Nobel Prize laureate. All right, so we're going to get into a little bit of definitions because I want you guys to be able to understand some basic concepts. And I'm going to break it down into an easy way to do it. All right? So, and this will help with some of the nomenclature. Because when people are talking, if they're not talking with some definition, it's easy to blur lines. All right? So, Tony Pope, all right, all that means is make a baby. All right, so when you want to think about Tony Potent, this is what you're thinking of. So, you know, if, if the triplets here, you know, if they were, you know, Tony Potent, Tony Potent stem cells, then they could make a whole life. All right? Now, the guys on the left, those are twins. All right? This is really cool. All right? So, you know, you, you see some of those experiments, and they, they talk about the pea pods and all that crap, and then, you know, they, they cross, and you only can get, you know, one or the other, and you've got the mixes, blah, blah, blah. Well, it doesn't quite work that way genetically, especially in humans, all right? So there's a variability, and it just so happened, and this isn't the only case, there's probably about eight that I've seen on the, um, the internet. And basically it's, you know, a mixed racial family, and there's genes that turn on for, you know, color, and there's ones that don't. And it just so happened that the twins, they got opposites. So it's kind of cool. All right. So are they near twins? What? Are they near twins? Well, I mean, so it's different eggs. So they'd be uh, for sure. Yeah, the yeah, the parents were saying. That happened. They said no, somebody cheated. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's totally true. They keep saying that no, they they 
All right, so next one is pluripotent, all right, and this is an important distinction. So when you hear embryonic or induced pluripotent stem cells, you know, I want you to think that you can create any cell in your body, all right? So when I think of pluripotent stem cells, I think of Johnny Depp, all right? You know, so Johnny Depp does all these roles. They're very different, all right? So I want you to remember pluripotent stem cells and Johnny Depp, all right? So change into everything, all right? Now we got multipotent, all right? Multipotent, if anybody knows Latin, it's still many, and plurian is the same thing. All right, these people screwed up with this one, I think. But they picked it, and what are you going to do? All right, so multipotent means it likes to do one sort of specific area. All right, so your adult stem cells, pretty much all of them that we can get from your body. So everybody, you know, you ever had stem cells in a woo, yeah, right? All right, and they're actually in a lot of your tissues. So they're in your fat, they're in your skin, they're in all your major organs, they're in your bone marrow, they're circulating in your blood. And it's your body's normal repair mechanism. So that's why we're all here. That's why, you know, whenever you, you hurt yourself and you get a scab, your body actually sends out a signal to say, stem cells, come fix me. And they'll actually go there, and sometimes they're actually part of the repair process, and sometimes they're there to attack infections, sometimes they're there to promote healing or prevent cells from dying. Yep. So I've heard that um, if a pregnant woman goes through trauma, her baby will send stem cells. Yes, they have a shared blood supply. Yeah, so uh, any mother here, you and you have a son, you're actually a chimera, all right? Because you actually have, uh, and forever, you will have Y chromosome cells in you from your, from your baby, all right? So I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but I love this part of my talk because it's like, all right, the politicians, they want to outlaw the creation of hybrids. They want to outlaw the creation of chimeras. And I'm like, uh, he's stupid. <laughs> um, did your mom know what you're doing? Um, you're going to make her illegal. Really? Yeah. You know, do you like peppermint? If you got all hybrids, you can't have peppermint. You're stupid. No stupid questions. Yeah, so here's, here's the way stem cells work. So stem cells have two characteristics they always have to do. If they don't do it, they're not a stem cell. They have to reproduce themselves, so self-replication, and, and technically that's therapeutic cloning, right? So if you, you know, outlaw cloning, then nobody can repair themselves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the second thing is they have to be able to differentiate into different specialized tissues. And so what stem cells do is that they, they're basically like worker bees, all right? They're going around, they're looking for stuff to do. And whenever they find damage, they go, ooh, 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 all right, uh, I need to become skinnier. And the cues around there, there's, there's stuff that's telling them, we need skin, we need skin, we need skin. And they literally, the, the genes that are expressed, the environment actually coaxes them to change into skin. All right? And this is why all, your, all of you are here, right? So you all started from a cell that then created its own milieu of growth factors, morphogen, stuff that basically changed your cells into other tissues. All right, so this is why we have skin and fat and bone and all this other stuff. You all came from the same stuff. Every cell in your body has the same DNA. It's the same coding. It's the same information. Yet you look around, and you're like, hey, we're a little bit different. Right? So it's pretty cool. All right, so 
uh, multipotent. I decided to go Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right? So they're all sort of like the same, right? You know, so you know, the foot clan. All right, so they like to do that sort of thing. All right, and I sort of laughed, like, "Have you seen the new foot guys? They're scary." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the new foot. I, I like the old foot better. Yeah. They're so screaming. Because they were <laughs> all right, so here's an embryo. All right, so. If anybody hasn't seen one before, uh, I want to get a couple of guesses. I want you to give me a guess. How big do you think that embryo is? Now, this embryo is about seven days old. Do you think you could see it? All right. He's done his homework. All right. You have... Oh, they already guessed it? Yeah. You can guess. You can guess. I was going to see it a little bit bigger because I know it's like in vitro fertilization. Oh, you got this in a microscope. Yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah, just like, so basically if you just take a, a pen and go, Doot, that's it. Oh. All right. So now imagine this, because, you know, this is what we're trying to do in sciences. Um, we're taking this, and you see that little blob at the bottom left corner of the top picture? All right, that's called the inner cell mass. That's where in, uh, embryonic stem cells come from. Now, so imagine a dot, and you're taking a needle, a really, 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 really thin, small needle, and you're going, and only sucking out those cells, nothing else. Can you imagine the hand-eye coordination it takes to do that? They have they have different you know equipment to help, but still they're actually only pulling out that, all right? And that's where it stops, all right. So this is another big differentiator. I have another slide a little bit later, but I want to enforce this, all right? With embryonic stem cells, we're deriving new lines. This is where we stop five to seven days. That's it. Anything past that are considered a fetal stem cell, all right? Are there people that are doing fetal stem cell research? Yes, all right. But this is what they look like. They don't look like little babies. Right? They really don't. Right? It's one of the things that kills me. All right. So, Mary is telling you. So you start off with one cell and you start changing all these different tissues. All right. So here's a little bit more of a lesson in uh, for Latin for you. All right. So ecto. All right. Give me. You got. You're good. All right. So somebody said it. So outside. So what do you? What tissues do you think would be on the outside? Skin. Yep. Hair. Yep. So skin, nervous system, that sort of stuff. That all comes from that. Area. We can grow all this stuff. All right. Oops. Uh, mesoderm. All right. So what do people think uh, mesoderm? Middle. Wow. You are right. On. All right. So meso is middle. All right. So stuff in the middle. So this is your connective tissue. This is your bone. All right, now I'm not going to hit it. All right, so endoderm. Inside. Inside. All right, yes, this is all your lungs and organs, all that fun stuff. All right, now the reason for life. See, I didn't think you'd learn that here. All right. It's primordial germ cells. All right, so what do you think primordial germ cells are? Mitochondria. No. They're sort of in there, but no. Anybody in the back? Yes, say it loud. Yes! He wins a prize! Sperm and eggs. Alright. So, this, this is why, you know, this is literally these cells are in your body, you know, forever. Women have a specific amount, but this is what you're passing on. And what's really cool about this is you can actually trace the mitochondria from the eggs through a maternal line because they're all the same. It's cool. Alright. Alright. So, why are embryonic stem cells cool? Alright. So we can derive them, all right? They can basically grow unlimited, all right? So there's a, a pro and a con to be able to grow in an unlimited fashion, all right? If they, they're growing really fast, and it's a nice thing. So I can take, you know, uh, inner cell mass. Um, you're probably taking, I don't know, a couple hundred cells. And in about a month, I can have well over a billion, all right? 
So they grow really fast. All right. One of the problems of growing really fast is you develop genetic damage. All right. And so you have chromosomal abnormalities and this sort of thing. All right. Now some cells do it and some cells don't. All right. We don't know exactly why some cells do and some cells don't, but we can actually find the ones that did and go you're out. All right. So that's the good news. All right. But we can grow and grow and grow in these cells, which is very useful. All right. The other problem with uh, being able to grow so fast is creating tumors. So this is another thing the news doesn't tell you. They're like, embryonic stem cells will cure everything. And cause tumors. <laughs> Oopsie. All right, so one of the interesting things about the Geron clinical trial is they were taking embryonic stem cells. They were deriving them into a cell type to help in nerve regrowth, all right, because they were trying to repair the spinal cord. So it was a spinal cord injury clinical trial. And they allowed 5% contamination of undifferentiated embryonic stem cells. All right? And if you put one, just one, it'll create a tumor. I'm like, you guys are crazy. Okay. And the doctors assured me, you know, I talked to their head, you know, physicians and scientists, and like, yeah, 5% is clean. Okay. So uh, the patients were dosed about a year and a half ago. So we'll see in about a couple years whether they develop tumors or not. I hope they don't. I really do. But it, I'd sort of go, eh, if they did, I'd be upset, and they'd probably have to get next size. Did anybody hear about the stupid one? Uh, the girl that grew the nose on her butt. <laughs> All right, this is so stupid. All right, so this is where the news, they just kill me. So um, you can get stem cells from the olfactory system, so your nose. All right, so what's really cool about your nose is it basically regrows all the nerves in there in around two weeks. All right? So if you destroy your, your nose and it's not really working, just wait a couple weeks and it'll regrow, as long as you don't have some other disease that's preventing it. But you can actually isolate those cells and they can regrow nerves. So like, hey, we're going to put those into you know an injury into the spinal cord on the lower part of her lumbar by her butt. All right, and uh, it turned out that she actually had some non uh, like non cancers. Uh, they weren't spreading. All right, so it was basically a tumor nodule. So a benign tumor. Um, and they just cut it out. Did it look like a nose? No. But it came from her nose, and then they're like, oh, does it nose look like a nose? And then, oh, it's not her butt. So it wasn't a big deal. All right, that's what I want to get across to you guys. It wasn't a big deal. Yes, they had a little nodule. Like, melon balled it all, no problem. All right. Here's the pretty pictures. All right. So this is what the cells look like. This is what overall you know, human development looks like. All right, so four weeks is actually where you start to see the heart, the heart beating. All right, so in the uh, you know, holy canon, this is what the beginning of life. If there's a heartbeat, there's life. All right, cool. All the embryonic stem cell guys, they agree because the, the church was saying, you know, you're killing your brothers, we don't want you to do it, and I'm okay with that. Everybody, I'm not saying it's bad. All right, have your convictions, but just be educated on your convictions. That's all I ask. All right, but they said, all right, you're killing people because they have a heartbeat, and they're like, okay, we agree. And they're like, all right, so you can't do embryonic stem cell research anymore. And they said, no. And they said, well, you're you're getting them from you know really late in the, the heartbeat. I'm like, no, we stop at seven days. I'm like, Shit. <laughs> it's actually a conception. <laughs> An egg hits the sperm. You're like, oh, fine. <laughs> so, but it used to literally be a canon that like you you know the beginning of life was in the heartbeat. All right, then they change it. All right, so. We do not go there. All right, guys? We don't. I got a question while you're back. Sorry. Um, so, point, um, so, the 
All right, so uh, she's asking about telomeres. So whenever um, cells are reproducing and they're basically making copies of themselves, um, there's a, a, a gene and an actual length, and it's basically sort of a, a stopwatch. All right, so this is how long you're going to live. All right, and the telomere every time your cell splits, it's a little shorter, a little shorter, a little shorter, a little shorter. And once it stops, your cell just terminally differentiates, and it'll no longer be a stem cell. So it's sort of your off switch, and it's where you know God's saying you're done. All right. Now, some cells actually don't have that problem, and whenever they're regrowing, they actually don't stop. So it just stays the same. All right, and those are immortalized. That's where if you hear immortalized, it's because their telomere aren't shortening. Cool question, by the way. I love this. Do you think that there will ever be like a farm, like like you're purposely getting women pregnant? Ooh, I love this one. So, I'm going to go off on a small rant because it makes me mad, all right? So, um, men can donate sperm and get paid for it. Not exactly an unpleasant scenario, okay? All right? Women that want to donate eggs have to go through hormonal treatment that takes a month, all right? So, anybody that's gone through IVF, it's rough, all right? So imagine the worst period you ever had, the worst cramping you ever had, multiply it by about 100, all right? It makes you crazy, all right? Because what you're doing is, is that these hormones are tricking your body. So normally you get two eggs, all right? And it goes, and if you listen real close, you'll hear it. All right, so you get one or two, all right? That's it. Um, but really, what we're doing with the drugs is we're getting five each. So it's like, you know, all right? Now, it'd be nice if you could just, you know, collect them, you know, say, oh, just put in this cup. All right, doesn't work that way. You take a big honking needle and go right through the abdominal wall into your fallopian tube and go, all right, so guys, this is painful. This is making you crazy. It takes a month, and guess what? They don't want to pay women for it. Bullshit. All right, this makes me crazy. It really does. You know, you'll pay a man for sperm, but you're not going to pay a woman for an egg. Why? It's, it's not cool. It's not cool. Now, yeah, and I mean, can you, yeah, women have a limited number, and men, uh, not so much. So why aren't we paying them a lot more? I don't get it. All right, so it's goofy politics. Now, so... Um, would there be a market for selling them? And this is this is where the slippery slope is. All right. So this is come to your question. If you were to pay women, would there be women that would go out there and sell their eggs? Sure. All right. Would that be a bad thing? All right. There's there's some ethics. There's some morality that you might say. All right. But um, you have enough eggs. You know, one and two at a time, you know, since you're, you know, you've hit puberty, so 14 until you're about 50-something whenever you hit menopause. When you're menopause, that means you're on empty. All right. <laughs> so that's a long time. Do you need all the eggs? No. You know, or, no. All right. I don't, I'm not seeing the problem here. I'm not seeing the downside. But you know, the politicians, they don't want to do it. Now, could we then, you know, if you were paying somebody, you know, could you be creating new babies? Sure. All right, you know, in vitro fertilization, you could be implanting them and doing God knows what. All right, that could be bad. All right, could you be creating these uh, organ farms? You know, I'm thinking, uh, what is that? You uh, and McGregor was it White Sands? I think it's White Sands. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a good one. The island. The island. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, the concept of that is like sort of interesting. All right. So could you create clones of people then to you know make you know banks? All right, and basically you harvest you know local area. 
I mean, theoretically, it's possible. All right. Has anybody ever been, you know, a human clone? All right. To our knowledge, no. But I just so happened to talk to a really, 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 really rich guy, and he says he has them growing now, and I believe him because he's a little, <laughs> and he wants to live forever. All right. So I think that we don't know about it, but is it possible? Sure. Now, is how um, how efficient are we at doing it? All right. So Dolly the sheep. Anybody want to guess what lucky number Dolly was in our experiments to try to clone an, you know, an animal? Yeah, 974. Wow. All right, so imagine you're this poor scientist. You're like, no, two, three, 457. I mean, give me a break. I mean, at some point you're like, it doesn't work. All right, so lucky number, 974. All right, so, but it makes it sound like, yo, we clone all the time. Yes, efficiency is still bad, but it's got a lot better. All right, now here's the problem. It's not going to do that with animals and stuff, all right? You know, there's PETA and they get mad, all right. But do you want humans to figure it out? I don't know if I want to make all those bad choices and errors and stuff to nuance, like, you know? I just, I just see, like, a bunch of women, like, living and, like, just going, and they're like, oh, my God, I don't have to come on. <laughs> <laughs> get out. The ones that just aren't quite right, like, one of the ears yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so it's sort of scary. So that's why, you know, you really have to keep this in, in, in mind. And this is why it's important for you guys to be educated. Not let the politicians make all the rules, but just have you know, everybody be educated. Make good choices. I'm good at that. All right, so adult stem cells. Uh, oh, the, let's see. The programming. Uh, let's see. I want to get some pictures. I'm sick of talking. All right, said that. All right, I'll real quick do this one. All right, so induced pluripotent stem cells. All right, so there's four genes. Uh, they call them the Yamanaka genes, but sort of fun and interesting. They never tell you really much about the genes, but CMYK is a cancer gene. Oh, yeah. Hey, okay, so you're telling me that we can take your skin biopsy and we're going to have a perfect line to you and you're putting a cancer gene into it. I don't know if I want that in me, guys, all right? <laughs> so it's a, it's a hurdle, all right? So the way we first did it was uh, using a retrovirus. I mean, actually put the genome, those genes directly in, they're in there forever, all right? So now we've permanently put a cancer gene inside your cell, and you want to put it in me for a therapeutic reason? Check, please. All right, but the next step, we're like, all right, all right, we figured out, this is cool, all right, all right, all right. How do we not integrate it? We figured that out. So we're using plasmids, uh, electroporation, there's a lot of different techniques. Uh, there's a really new, cool system, it's called CRISPR-Cas, all right? Um, What's sort of amazing about this, we're taking the immune system, all right? So, you know, why do we have an immune system that remembers stuff, all right? And it's because your cells actually use these specific genes to actually make copies of viruses and stuff and put them into your genome to go, remember this, this is bad, <laughs> all right? And this is literally, this is acquired immunity. So it's a natural part of your system, but it keeps adding junk in there, all right? This is why a lot of our genome is, like, junk. It, but it's just copies. It's part of our, our immune system, which is really awesome. But we've, what we've done is we took this and said, all right, what if we trick it? And we're going to, instead of having it put in, you know, this, this virus, this you know, bacteria that, you know, you want to make sure you don't get sick from again, what if we put in one of these Yamanaka genes? And it works. All right? So now this opens up a huge field because the efficiency is very high. Um, we can actually take genes out and replace them. So... Uh, Cystic fibrosis, so the CFTR gene, um, 
is a, is a defect, all right? So we could literally go into your system. Now, let's say we could actually get you as an embryo, all right? And we could pull out a few cells, and we could correct the gene and put it back in. It's a theoretical cure for the disease that you, then you would never be born with it. All right, now let's take sickle cell anemia, all right? So this is another one. It's a gene defect. We can actually go in and get a blood-forming stem cell. It's called a hemipoietic stem cell. Find the gene that's wrong. Use the CRISPR-Cas system to pull out the bad gene, put in the corrected gene, and if you get 70% of the blood-forming cells that way, you've cured the disease. Done. Forever. All right? And this is very real. All right? So you guys are going to see clinical trials in that probably three to four years. Do you have a question? Uh, yeah. I was also going to ask, uh, because I know it's been going around, but uh, have they looked into ALS in a similar manner because of it being a, a, a genetic defect at that point that's degenerative? Yes, yes. So that's exactly. They're also looking at with your, your ALS is also adding in a gene. So there's uh, myostatin. All right, and myostatin is a gene that basically um, is used in muscle differentiation, and it's also basically slows down muscle growth. All right, so it's important to not be like the Hulk, right? But this is if you if you if you want to see one of my next panels, it's kind of fun about superhero science. So I'm going to go into it a little bit, but um, if you were to take that gene and block it, then you're going to actually regrow lots of muscle in a fast way, and they're actually looking at it as a cure for ALS, or at least a treatment that would then slow down the de uh, degeneration of muscles. It's also uh, a cool way we actually created Mighty Mouse. All right, so. I don't No, but he outruns the crap out of the other mouse. So, it's amazing. So, so they took the same gene and they, they put it in, they did it as a pup, all right, and infused it before it was born. And then they took the mice and they had them run on a treadmill. And I have a video for it. I think I put on here. I might have to dig. But you watch this mouse on a track. And you can look it up, Mighty Mouse, and you'll find it on the internet. And you just watch this mouse like, and they're, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. And the normal mouse is like, Ugh, I'm tired. And he's just like, da 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 mouse is like, I'm gonna truck it, da 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 And he's just trucking. And you're like, dude, why are you getting tired? It's amazing. All right, I got a question back there. So all the new therapies that you've got Yeah, so the political resistance, it's almost de facto because we're proving that it works. They're having less and less reasons why they can say you shouldn't do it. All right, so, you know, when you have the first embryonic stem cell clinical trial and we put them in patients, you know, the, the file with the FDA was uh, 21,000 pages. All right, so some poor guy had to write 21,000 pages of justification to the FDA as to why they should be allowed to run a clinical trial. All right, and some poor guy at the FDA had to read it. <laughs> and here's what's really bad. He went back and said, no, you got to do some more studies. I'm like, are you crazy? Seriously? More? 21,000? No, no, no. Okay. So, it, yeah. so it's getting better. All right. So the politicians, we're, we're doing a lot of outreach to them. We're doing a lot of education. But um, the problem is education. It really comes down to some of them just don't want to learn. They don't want to understand that, you know, when you say stem cells, I don't just mean embryonic-derived stem cells. I mean adult stem cells. I mean induced pluripotent stem cells. You know, and each cord of them has banks. a place. You know, cord blood banks is another great example. You know, every day, you know, mothers are throwing away, 
you know, tons and tons of umbilical cord that has full of stem cells. And uh, there's cells in there that are embryonic-like, all right? So they have, you know, they're not quite pluripotent, but they're better than multipotent. So they're great cells. Um, so that gets into really bad ethics. So that's why nobody's really going there. So let's say you know you were a Hitler, yeah. <laughs> and we don't want you tampering with our with our, our genes, with you know the, uh, the sperm and the eggs. I totally get it. Would it be great to be able to go in and then take out uh, genes that cause this and this and this and these diseases? Yes, but it's one of those powerful things in whose hands and you. So it's it's one of those again it's an Gattaca. ethical thing that we just haven't yeah there you go Gattaca it's a great example is it possible yes all right it would be possible but uh, the CRISPR Cas system one of the sort of scary things um, it, you know the uh, uh, what's the name of it? so it was an Iron Man it was also with Deathlock and uh, Agents of Shield uh, Centipede and they had uh, uh, it was their super serum all right all right. So part of my other science talk is basically pulling in and saying, you know, that could actually be used as the CRISPR-Cas system. And could you actually do patient, I mean, population-wide gene changes? Yeah, it could be. All right, so that'd be the scary part of that one. And I feel like that's fine. I all of a sudden, like, the dream, 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 we're, look, look at our, our, our patients, you know, we're living longer, we're developing more diseases, uh, rates of autism are going up, it's not just uh, the rate of diagnosis, so I've talked to a lot of uh, doctors that are in this field. Um, there are stuff their environment is doing, it's the food that we're eating, the environment, uh, the change in lifestyle is affecting us genetically, and I would say we're sort of devolving some. Right. Yep. Um, uh, also going, kind of stepping back, um, in reference to, um, people with conditions like in, in terms of metabolic rate and how obesity is already changing and speaking and how we're devolving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, has there been any sort of, uh, gene therapy that has made, maybe have looked at, um, making adjustments toward metabolic rates and maybe elevating it to see if that would increase the consumption of lipids and nutrients in the body. Yeah, there's there's a, um, a lot of companies that are in it, they're, they're looking at using drugs to do that and sort of metabolically doing it, also going at looking at gene expression of uh, fat cells and changing insulin production and um, the ability to actually create fat cells. So it's really cool. All right, if you take uh, mesenchymal stem cells and just put them in high glucose, that's it. You, you know, a regular growth media but high glucose, they differentiate into fat on the spot. It's actually your body protecting itself, all right? Sugar is actually going to be toxic. So the importance of fat is actually globulating that and, you know, housing it. You know, it's going, all right, we, you know, from a instinctual standpoint, it's like, we're saving this for later. Problem is that for later is never happening, you know? So as a species, you know, we don't, we, we have plenty of food. We haven't had to, like, go a week without food and need this fat. And so genetically, we haven't you know, caught up to that to go, we don't need it. Now, you're seeing some body types of people that are, you know, extremely anorexic, and they actually have different genetic profiles. So there, there is work that's going on in that.
Uh, I don't know Fuchs dystrophy. Uh, what's the basic? Uh, the blood vessel related? Or is it nerve? Okay, we can grow cornea. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so if, if it was, say, a uh, degeneration of the cornea and you needed to regrow new cornea, uh, that's being done. Uh, it's also been done a lot with um, cadaver transplants. Okay. Yeah, there's um, ACT Advanced Cellular Technologies out of uh, California has a uh, macular degeneration, and they're they're uh, regrowing the uh, epithelial pigmentation cells, um, and those are associated with that in the site, and they're actually curing people that were blind. So uh, we're we're making strides in all of this stuff. Wow, I've been talking so much it hasn't. It's like, oh, so you see the efficiency here, so it's so low. Yeah. That's a good one. So for me, I would rather see most diseases treated with stem cells because it's a regenerative, it's a reparative fix as opposed to a drug that you're going to be on the rest of your life. And if you're off of it, then you're no longer cured. So take type 1 diabetes. All right? I actually have a researcher, Yan Jensen, and he's growing from embryonic stem cells, beta cells, and they produce insulin. Um, and we're looking at a method of encapsulating that so that we don't have to worry about um, rejection. And we put it inside the body next to a blood vessel. And in mice, we've already seen that it actually produces insulin, human insulin in a mouse, of an immunocompetent mouse. All right, this is also very important. And we're seeing glucose response for the cells. So this is a regenerative thing that a type 1 diabetes could be cured. You would not have to do insulin shots. You would not have to worry about insulin spikes or, you know, diabetic coma in the middle of the night and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of diseases where I think it would be better to do it. Now, if we're talking, you know, your statins for, you know, uh, arthrosclerosis, well, that's a good use, right? You know, will stem cells cure everything? Definitely not. Um, it can do a lot of neat stuff. You know, we can grow skin. We can grow sheets of it. So there's a, a grant we have from the Armed Forces Institute for Regenerative Medicine, and there's an um, individual, Stephen Boyce, at the University of Cincinnati. And he can take a one-centimeter square and expand it tenfold. All right. And that's the patient's own skin, and it actually has pigmentation to it. So if you've ever seen a really bad bird patient, and you see the checker pattern, yeah. so what they did, this is an old technique, and they would take a skin graft, and they sort of take like a pizza cutter, and cut it up a little bit, and they stretch the crap out of it. And that's why it looks so bad. It's also why it doesn't have the innervation, doesn't have hair, has the scarring, because they're literally ripping the skin apart as far as they can. Well, it's better than dying, all right? So, okay, good. All right. So with these skin sheets, though, it's actually your, your own skin. So we've grown it on a scaffold, and we took a little biopsy from somewhere on the body that you know, wasn't burned, and then we can grow these sheets. So we're actually able to save these soldiers' lives, which is really amazing. And that's a clinical trial that's going on right now. Does it work like sourdough? Does it work like sourdough? Yeah, like, like, like... Yeah, you like you take. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah.
Our group, so the question's about hypothyroidism and hormonal diseases. Um, our group is not. Um, organs and stuff in the brain are really tough. All right, so the, the hardest part about working in the brain is where do you get the cells from to play with? <laughs> yeah, you gotta dig a hole and pull them out. That's why a lot of people don't want to donate them. So, um, <laughs> uh, what we're able to do with the IPS, induced platelet stem cells, is actually to take the skin biopsy and then derive them into the, the neural tissues and then be able to evaluate and test drugs on them. So, that's actually a really useful way of developing human models of disease. I think it's theoretically possible. I mean, your cells. You're obviously able to create a thyroid from an embryonic stem cell. So it's a matter of looking at the differentiation pathways and figuring out how to push those cues. So uh, whenever we're differentiating stem cells, uh, embryonic and such, uh, they all have a map, all right? And this map, you know, cues them along the way. And this is why all you have these different tissues. And it, it comes about, and it's called um, an egg cylinder, all right? So if you imagine um, like a cup. Right? And so your head would be over here, and your tail would be over here, and then you're surrounded by um, the, the placenta, and those are sending cues, right? And there's more drug over here of a certain type than over here, and that change actually tells the cells to change into something else. And there's other signals along that path that then tell slightly different cues. And then because of the distance, you get different cues, more cues, right? And so this is how it builds up into a map. And then as those cells differentiate in another cell type, they actually start putting out more genes and more stuff and more milieu and changing the environment around them. And that further changes cells. So if we could figure out that cascade to get down to a thyroid shell. Yeah, good. All right, let's see. Uh, I'm going to do a, a cool movie. All right, so let's do this. All right, so this is cool. This is a new technology that uh, was developed out of Case Western uh, by Dr. Huang. It's called two-photon microscopy. And we're actually looking at is the bone marrow of a mouse. And this is a live mouse, all right? So normally you can't do live imaging, uh, but we have um, a fluorescent microscope that actually do tissue penetration, all right? And so what they did was, is they gave the mouse a, an infection. And what you're seeing in the green are the immune cells that are actually getting ready to uh, be released. This has never been seen before, so it's really cool. Yeah. All right, what's really neat about being able to do this is, you know, we can um, see how drugs are affecting it. So this is another um, two-photon microscopy. And what we're looking at is uh, in green are tumor cells. Um, yellow are new blood vessels that the tumor cells are trying to grow. And uh, red, I believe, are macrophages that are in the area. And so we can actually visualize tumors while the animal is still alive. So it's a little bit creepy and a little bit cool is we actually will take a little skull cut out and we put a, a, a cover slip, a little piece of glass in there, and we can image deep into their brain on a brain tumor and then do drug testing. And then, you know, the animal gets to be their own control. And you can actually measure the change in the tumor size of the drug you're giving. So it's a wonderful, wonderful model. I sort of loaded these up, and I was hoping it was going to work this way. All right, so we're able to do sort of neat stuff of, you know, looking at the tissue, flipping it, seeing where cells are. All right, just keep blabbing them. Look at Twelve minutes. All right. Anybody hear about the trachea? Yes. All right. 
Yeah, so this is uh, actually one of the first ones was done with uh, one of my cor corporate partners, Nanofiber Solutions, out of Columbus, Ohio. And uh, they take these scaffolds and, um, again, they look at the patient and they come up with, you know, the sizes and they match it exactly to what the patient's going to need. Um, and then they're able to seed it with uh, the patient's own stem cells for usually only five days. It doesn't really take that long. And then they're literally implanting them and uh, having the airway then regrown. And it's working. All right. It's really cool. Um, you can see on the bottom, this was a, a blood vessel into a pig. So we're also doing blood vessels. All right, here's my fun picture stuff. All right, so this is, you know, my misconception. So, you know, a chimera, so it's important to understand these differences, all right? So, you know, a chimera is an animal that has two or more different populations, all right? So, non-identical twins, all right? So, if you make chimeras illegal, then guess what? You know, non-identical twins are now illegal. Thanks, guys. Anybody that's ever done a bone marrow transplant to help somebody save their life, yay, save them from cancer, and now you're illegal. Thanks, guys. You know, again, all mothers have a son. You have a Y chromosome, all right? So, you know, hybrids, all right? So you don't like hybrids. They're illegal. Okay, no more donkeys and mules and these uh, people. So this is what they think that we're trying to do in science, all right? So this is a chimera. And we're like, yeah, hey, you're going to create this, you know, lion, goat, snake thing. Like, um, guys, it don't work that way. I know you watch TV and movies, and you watch a little too much of the island of Dr. Moreau, but no, this is not what we're doing. It's not the human line. That'd be kind of fun. This would be awesome. That'd be so cute. I mean, you just make your Alright, this is awesome what they think we're doing. Alright, so this one is, yeah. Everybody looks at it and they're like, it's so real. It's real, they're creating the bog. You know, it's like barf, you know, the space bog. It's like, no. You know, so this is just a sculpture, but it was made so well that this got circulated over the internet, and they're like, look at the scientists are doing, they're evil, This is a real one, all right? So this is a wall thing. It's a whale dolphin, right? This is a real live thing, right? It just happened in nature. You know, I don't know how, you know, a dolphin and a whale do it, but they did. <laughs> All right, the liger. Liger. You know? So, yeah, he's cool. He's huge. You know? So he's kind of cool. Ligons are smaller than lions. Actually, they're even smaller than classic lions. They get like. So, you know, this, biologically, it's kind of cool that, you know, this sort of stuff happens. You know, and, you know, sometimes it happens in nature, but if we, you know, jump too fast and start making stuff illegal and don't do it, it's going to be a problem. All right. Uh, do we want to do questions, or do you want to know why it takes so long? All right. Let's do a question, and we'll do why does it take so long. Uh, back step half a second. Stem cell research related to close head damage and yeah, so the, the Armed Forces Institute for General Medicine uh, was started specifically to treat our wounded soldiers. So it was $65 million that was awarded in 2005. And then we just received another $75 million this past year. And it's specifically for our wounded soldiers. So it's uh, growing new skin. It's craniofacial. Um, we're actually, there's a, a project we have with uh, Dr. With what? In the eye. In the eye? Traumatic, uh, traumatic brain injury. Yeah, so um, they're actually with, with David Dean at uh, Ohio State University. Uh, he used to be at Case Western, and 
uh, what they're able to do is they're, they're looking at where uh, an explosion went off and there's a missing uh, skull fragment. Um, and so one of the problems is, is how do you get it just right, the right size? And so they're actually using 3D printing to do that. And so what he's doing right now is they'll do, again, you know, uh, MRI, CT, and then print out that skull piece that's missing, seed it with stem cells, and have it infused back in there. So that treats the outside of it. Now you want to go on the inside of it. So um, with stroke, it's the, basically the same sort of injury. So you have some sort of ischemia, there's a damage. How do you uh, fix it? So in the chronic case, there's nothing we can do right now. All right, so in the acute case, we can do a lot. All right, so there's a clinical trial with the company Anthesis. Um, it's going to be um, wrapping up actually this December, so I'm really hoping that they're going to do good. Um, they have a stem cell that you can put IV, and it'll actually hone into the damage where the stroke was done, or for TBI. And it goes there, and it keeps the cells alive, and also reduces the inflammation and the macrophages. So one of the biggest problems you have in a brain injury is your own body damages the cells further, uh, trying to clean up what's been damaged. And so uh, with Christopher Reeve as an example, the spinal cord injury, the T1, T2, uh, he actually, uh, after his injury, his cells went and destroyed more of it, right? And it's just your body's response. Uh, it's trying to help, but it screws up. And so if we're able to put these stem cells in, we're actually able to stop those cells and promote healing and promote the cells that were damaged from dying. And so that's what they're doing right now in a phase two clinical trial. And so we actually see that as a thing going forward for the soldiers, is they have to prove it stroke first, but then the very next step, um, they're gonna be looking at TBI. All right, so why does it take so long? So this is this is our developmental timeline, all right? So I, I do this at all my talks, and so far nobody's written me a check. If you give me a billion dollars in 10 years, I will cure any disease, any. I, I'm telling you, that's all I need, all right? Nobody's written me a check yet, and it really sucks, but this is why it takes so long, because you have to raise this much money, all right? Now, with sort of neat stem cells, we're able to do a few cheats, all right? So uh, if you were to do this in a drug, then you have to go through and you have to show that you know it has uh, no toxicity or limited toxicity and it can cure the disease, and you can do animal models, and you can do clinical trials, you can do phase one, you can do phase two, you can do phase three, and you can finally, after 10 years, and that's actually going really fast, in a billion dollars, you can actually have your drug on the market. And for each drug, the drug company has to do that. Now with stem cells, you get to cheat a little bit because we're going to use the same cell for a lot of different applications. So as an example, atherosis, they have a clinical trial in cardiovascular disease, uh, specifically acute myocardial infarction. They had a graft-versus-host disease, they have stroke, uh, inflammatory bowel disease. And what they were able to do is actually have only one manufacturing method, and they can prove that it was safe in their phase one, and they could skip that. So it saves them time and money. And so they go right to a phase two, and now they're looking at doing phase two threes and getting to the market faster. So the FDA has also been helping us out and saying, okay, we're going to shorten that window, and we're going to allow you to get there faster for orphan indications. So anything where there's 50,000 patients or less a year is an orphan indication, and you're actually able to fast-track through their approval process and uh, get through with less time and money. So this is going to really start accelerating things. And literally, this is you know, new laws that have been passed in the last year. So we hope to see a lot of good things from it. There's a great company, Mesoblast. Uh, they're out of... Uh, Australia, they actually bought some intellectual property that was started at Case Western at my institution. 
And uh, so they have probably 12 different clinical trials. And so you're going to really be seeing a lot of stuff go fast. But this is why it takes so long. So it's like four to six years, you know, just when we have an idea, right? We want to try something. We do the bench. We're working. And then we finally get something. All right, we're ready to get into humans. And it takes, you know, another, you know, six years just to get it through to where we can actually sell it on the market. So that's why it takes so long. All right, I'm going to... Yeah, okay. So, let's do questions. So we got we got three minutes to wrap up. So I'm going to do somebody that has asked a question. You might do one or two things. All right. So, uh, so with spinal cord uh, regeneration, uh, there's a lot of neat stuff that's actually going on. Uh, there's intellectual property that's being developed at Case Western with Jerry Silver, and he's looking at a way to break down the scar tissue that happens. So one of the biggest problems in spinal cord injury is after the injury happens, you get a fibrous tissue that prevents the body from actually regrowing nerves across the spinal cord. And in Christopher Reeves, the gap was, you know, half a centimeter. And that was it. But the scar tissue prevented it from regrowing. If we could get rid of that scar tissue, Christopher Reeves could have been walking. All right? So this drug that's being developed actually degrades it. And then what we want to do is put stem cells in to promote growth and then repair it. So that's the idea. That's actually research is ongoing right now. All right, another short one. Yeah. Say. Oh, here. Uh, there. All right, uh, one over there on the left side. You're doing any research on teeth and hair? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a researcher, uh, Pratima Karnak, uh, Case Western. Uh, she is looking at growing hair. All right, so... Uh, I mean, if she does this, it's gonna be, she's going to be so rich, she's not going to do it all the money. But uh, they're going to actually take um, keratinocytes, so skin stem cells, and they're looking at uh, making them grow hair. So they're actually uh, doing that for uh, alopecia right now. So they're in the clinic, they're in the preclinical, they're in animals. All right, another quick one. Oh, it'd be way less. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be way, way less. And then your insurance companies are going to cover it, Medicare, Medicaid, that sort of thing. Um, but you look at the, the cost of insulin uh, alone for a diabetes patient over a lifetime, and you compare that to it'll probably cost about 200000 for a treatment that'll cure you. You know, the insulin alone, millions. All right, I think we have to wrap up. All right, thanks, guys. And thanks to Michael Gilkey for the really interesting panel. Uh, if you were at DragonCon and learned anything cool or interesting and want to share it with us or with our listeners, you can send us an email at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com, or you can leave a voicemail for us either by clicking the leave voicemail tab on the side of our website, tatianaiseveryone.com, or you can call 972-514-7223. And thank you so much for listening.